we are continuing our series called Top Ten, and we're going through these Ten Commandments, and not as a checklist, not as a way that like if we could keep these things that somehow we would be right with God, but more as can we look at these as an invitation that when we dig into these Ten Commandments, is there a part of these things that can draw us closer to the heart of God? Is there an invitation that draws us closer to Jesus? And I believe as we look at these, and we have looked at these, that it is. There, there is a, a lot here. There's a lot for us that sometimes we can just pass over and just think, well, that's just Old Testament. But there's a lot here for us to discover. And we've dealt with the first two and then took a little bit of a break. And now we're back into Exodus chapter 20 and then verse 7. This is the third of the Ten Commandments. And it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So I think the way a lot of us approach this command is we look at it in the terms of using God's name as a curse word. And, you know, and maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe most of us are saying, well, I don't do that very often, so this doesn't apply to me, so let's move on. How could we have a whole sermon about this if this is what it's all about? I think we're going to find out rather quickly that that's not the totality and even the main purpose of what this command is talking about. Because if we look at the, this word, and it says, you shall not take, that word is uh, nasah, which in Hebrew means you shall not lift up or carry in vain. And so as we really read this, what it's talking about is carrying the name of God in vain. It says, you shall not carry the name of God in vain. I mean, you guys know that that seems to now apply to a lot of us, actually all of us, right? And so it says, you should not carry or lift up the name of God in vain. It, it can be likened to this. How many of you guys have ever had your identity stolen before? Has anybody ever had your identity? Okay, a couple of you. I had years ago, I had... Uh, my bank called me and they said, hey, are you in Wichita right now trying to take out a loan? I'm like, no, I'm not in Wichita trying to take out a loan. They said, we need you to come in. So I came in and they, they said, well, there's somebody with your name who's trying to take out a loan in your name and trying to get money out of accounts and all that kind of stuff. So I had to verify all this type of stuff that it wasn't me. So what was happening in that moment? They were taking my name and they were trying to use my name in a way that I never intended. They were taking my name and trying to hijack the authority of my name for their own purposes. They were taking my name and trying to use my name in a way that the owner of the name did not intend. Is anyone seeing where I'm going with this? So, so when it talks about carrying the name of God in vain, it's when we take the name of God and we use it for ways that he never intended. Or when we try to hijack his authority for our own selfish purposes. And this is illustrated in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 19. If you have a Bible, turn there or a phone or it'll be up on the screen. But there's a story here in Acts chapter 19 verse 11. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched, that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, just Paul would touch something, they'd take it to someone else, and all of a sudden they'd get healed, or an evil spirit would be cast out just by them coming in contact. It was a crazy miracle. And so then some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke 
the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. They said, well, that name of Jesus seems to be working for Paul. So what if we took that name and begin to use that name to do a good thing with it? They were going to cast out spirits and try to use that name even for a good thing. But it says, uh, and it says, then some of them undertook the, invoked the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name or by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Uh-oh, it didn't kind of work the way they thought. And they said, well, Jesus I know. And, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Who are you? And, uh, and then the, in the, in the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. How many of you guys know that's a bad day, right? Looks bad all around. It just looks bad, okay? And so... It didn't work out because they were trying to take the name of Jesus. They were trying to carry the name of which they did not actually know how to use or did not actually apparently belong to. And so it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like somebody who wears a Christian t-shirt, but it's not living the Christian life. Or they had the bumper sticker on their car and then they cut you off in traffic. How many of you guys ever had that happen before? It's like, you ever been cut off by a fish bumper sticker in traffic? And then you start cussing or something. You're like, it just provokes some. So this is exactly why we do not have journey bumper stickers because I've seen some of you drive, okay? We are not gonna do that to this community. <laughs> and so it's like wearing a t-shirt, but there's no life to back it up. That's kind of what it's like. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 24. Verse five, it says, for many will come in my name. They will say that they are in the name of Jesus. Now he takes it further here where it says, they will say that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. He says, many will come in my name. Some people are actually claiming to be the Christ, but the principle still holds true that there are many who will try to use the name of Jesus and say they are in the name of Jesus and yet not actually be so and lead others astray. So what could this command be talking about? It could be talking about several things, but it's really, I think at the heart of it, is profaning God's reputation. It's taking God's name and using him for things that we desire. It's placing God's name on things where it never belongs. Like our political team. Like our plans. Like our lifestyle. Like whatever we, we want it to be. And then we place God's name on that. And then we try to call that holy. And, and, and this can happen in other areas of walking with God where we try to use something for vain purposes. We try to use something in a way that it was never intended. I was listening to a podcast this week by a, a guy. He was talking about the difference between good and bad worship. And how sometimes we end up using worship. And he said bad worship satisfies our cravings, but it makes us unaware of our hunger. You ever come into a worship service and all of a sudden you, your, your cravings, whatever, however you define that, but all of a sudden you, you walk away and you're not more hungry for God than when you came in. See, see, good worship ought to leave you more hungry for God than less hungry. He says, good worship does not satisfy our cravings, but it awakens our hunger. And see, the same thing happens in Scripture. How do you know if you're using Scripture? Because you can use worship in vain. 
You can carry it up for a wrong purpose. You can also use scripture in vain. How do you know if you're using scripture in vain? Well, one of the ways you know you're using scripture in vain is if you go to scripture to try to win an argument. And then especially if you win the argument, it's, it's really bad because now we feel justified. Or if we go to scripture to try to justify the life that we want to live instead of looking at scripture for it the way it tells us to live. Or if we twist scripture to use it for our own selfish purposes. See, those are ways that we end up using God and his word in vain, taking it to use it for our own selfish purpose. So here's what we have to understand, that a name is much more than a title. A name reveals the nature. So the nature of a person. So let me just say it this way. God's name reveals God's nature. What does nature mean? Let me just define that dictionary definition for us. It's the inherent character or basic constitution of a person or thing. It's their disposition, their temperament. What I'm saying is that God's name is more than just a title that we can carry around and slap on anything that we want. But God's name reveals God's nature. And so whatever we put God's name on needs to match God's nature. And it has, because God's name is actually revealing, it will reveal God's nature. And so to kind of lay a foundation for the name of God, because as we'll find out, there are several in scripture, but let's get, get a foundation for the name of God. I, I found one of these Bible project videos that really lays a good foundation uh, for that. And then we'll move on. So check this out, the name of God. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the second key word here, Lord, written in all capital letters. This is the personal name of Israel's God. We first learn the meaning of this name in the story of Moses and the burning bush in the book of Exodus chapter 3. God appears to Moses and he commissions him to liberate the Israelites from slavery. And so Moses wonders, what if people ask the name of the God who has sent me? And so God responds, tell them, Ehyeh has sent me to you. Now, that Hebrew word Ehyeh means I will be. In other words, God's name means that he is the one who is and who will be. God's existence doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. This God simply is. But it will sound kind of strange for Moses to go say to the Israelites, I will be has sent me to you. Only God can say, I will be. So in the next sentence, God tells Moses the version he should say aloud, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, he has sent me to you. Now, that word Yahweh is the ancient Hebrew form of the verb he will be. And this is the personal name of the God of Israel. It appears over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Now, here's what's interesting. Over the centuries, Israelites wanted to honor the sacred nature of this divine name. So, as they read the Hebrew Bible aloud and they came to this name, they stopped saying Yahweh and instead started saying the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Adonai. Now this practice has been continued throughout the centuries and so later when people started translating the Bible into English, they adopted the same practice. Instead of spelling out the divine name, they translated it as LORD spelled in all capital letters. Okay, you got that? 
Good, because there's more. Ancient Jewish scribes wanted to prevent anyone from even accidentally saying this name aloud when you read the Hebrew Bible. And so they came up with a visual device to remind you to make sure you say Adonai. They took the four consonant letters of the divine name. These letters correspond to our English letters Y-H-W-H. Then they inserted the three vowels from the word Adonai and combined these together to create an artificial hybrid word, which if you pronounced it, it would say Yahuwah, but no Israelite ever said Yahuwah. It's simply a visual reminder to say the word Adonai. Now it gets more interesting. Much later, Christian scribes came along who didn't know that Yahuwah was an artificial word. And so they began to say it aloud and spell it in their writings. This is the word that eventually entered into English as Jehovah, it's a word many people still use today. But the main thing is, the word Lord in all capital letters is an indication of the divine name. Don't confuse it with the word Lord in your English translations that's not in all capital letters. That is the actual Hebrew word Adon, which just means Lord or Master. This word can refer to people like kings or the master of a servant, even a shepherd over his sheep. And sometimes biblical authors will use this word to refer to God, like in the phrases the Lord of all the earth or the Lord of lords. But behind all of these words, Yehovah, Lord, Adonai, stands the original divine name of the God of Israel. It refers to the one who was, who is, and who forever will be. All right, so God's name reveals his nature. Now, we try to put God's name on a lot of things, but here's the interesting thing. God puts his name on his people. And we bear a responsibility to carry the name in a way that is, that is honoring of that. And we see that in a famous passage that maybe you've heard about or sung about. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is the pattern that God does. He did to his people Israel, but he places his name on us as well. And in Hebrew, that word name literally means reputation, renown, fame, or his standing. So what this is saying is that God places his name, his fame, his renown, his standing, his reputation on his people. He's entrusting us with his reputation. So he places his name upon us. And in the introduction to Robert Young's analytical concordance of the Bible, he says it this way. He says, in scripture, a name is much more than an identifying tag. It denotes the essence and character of a person or thing. So Jesus tells his disciples, right? He says, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Surely the disciples weren't persecuted just because of the name, but because of what the name represented, right? because of what was behind the name, because of what the name represented. And so God places his name on us, but it's more than just a title, but he places his name on us. Here's the problem though. The name of God is not visible. We can't see the name of God written upon all of the people of God. And so what happens? Some people claim to be bearing the name, but aren't carrying it because they're carrying it in vain. And so how do we, how, how, how might we tell? How, how might we go about trying to figure out how we're effectively carrying the name? Well, a couple weeks ago, 
I talked about this scripture and I, I talked about the, the, the triumphant parade that, that God has led us in victory and that, that Satan is being towed behind, if you guys will remember that. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And here it is. And through us, he spreads this fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma to Christ, to God, among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To another, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So it can be likened to an aroma. You can't see an aroma, can you? But you can walk in and you can tell that it's there. So even with the name of God, we can't see the name of God, but there ought to be something about the people of God that when people come around us, we can tell that it's there. It's like this aroma, this fragrance that comes out. It says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. He's talking about people who just peddle God's word or try to take up the name, but aren't really uh, carrying the name well. It says, but we are men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God we speak in Christ. And so... The name of God, even though it's not visible, there ought to be something about it that those who carry it, people can tell it's not just a title, but what's behind the title becomes significant. It's like this aroma of God on our lives. And let me tell you a story. Uh, I watched this video not too long ago from one of my uh, shows. I, I like to watch some hunting shows. And one of the shows I like to watch is a show called Meat Eater. Has anybody ever seen that? A, a few people have. Okay. And so they were out hunting one day. And I wish I could show you the video. I can't because of copyright issues. But the, they're out hunting one day. And all of a sudden, this grizzly bear comes out. And they see this grizzly bear from a, a, a distance away. And it keeps coming towards them. And they're getting a little bit concerned because it's a grizzly bear and they're out in the wild. And all of a sudden it comes around trees and it starts to come at them full speed, charging right at them. And these things are fast. These things are big. And so they have their guns out and they start to begin to shoot at this grizzly bear that's coming full speed at them. And, at, and they just stand their ground. And at the last minute, this grizzly bear turns off. I mean, coming right at them and turns right off at the last second. And one of the guys just spontaneously says this, as the bear turns off, turns out, he says, smell us now, lady. <laughs> I know. It's like, why would you say that? And so he, said, he just spontaneously, that's, that's his phrase that he says as a grizzly bear charges him and turns away from him. The very last thing he says, the thing that pops into his mind is smell us now, lady. And the reason why he said that is because evidently the grizzly bear started charging at them and at the very last second, it got a whiff of their human scent. And as it got a whiff of their human scent, it decided it wasn't gonna mess with the humans. They decided it wasn't prey and it wasn't the same type of threat and it turned away. And so he says, smell us now, lady, because it was a mama bear with some cubs and that was just his reaction. Well, smell us now, we're human, smell us now, lady. And I, I thought, man, that is a crazy thing. That's a crazy story. And I, I, I wish I could just show it to you. You have to look, look it up. But it made me think. Because here in a couple weeks, if some of you guys may know this, but Becca and I are going to go up north to Glacier National Park. And there's grizzlies everywhere. And so I'm thinking, what if this happens to me, you know? 
and, and what am I going to do? And, and so I started to get all of this stuff. This is a, a bear canister here. This is a bear vault. You're supposed to put all of your food in this thing. Anything that smells Un, that doesn't smell like a human, you've got to put in here. So your toothpaste, your food, your whatever it is, you need to put in here and then put far away from your camp at night so that you don't have an, an encounter with a grizzly bear and you don't become food. And so I started to go maybe to an extreme. I don't know. I bought these special Ziploc bags. These are not Ziploc, actually. These are no odor bags. So you put something in there and no, you can't smell whatever's in this bag. And because I, I want to eliminate every single odor that does not belong. So I've got these, uh, these meals here that are freeze dried and that are sealed, vacuum sealed in this certain package. I even went as far as buying unscented arm, like deodorant here, you know, and had somebody tell me last night, that's not going to work. So uh, my whole plan now is ruined. And so I'm going to put everything in this container because if I, because I want to have that experience. If a bear is going to come at me, I want it to run full speed at me. And then at the last second, turn off so I can say, smell me now, lady, smell me now. That's, that's the experience. If it's going to happen, I want to have that. And, and so the reason I say all that is because here's what the aroma is like. I'm trying to eliminate every single aroma that should not be there. So if you didn't know, when a grizzly bear comes running at you, the last thing you should do is turn and run. Because if you turn and run, you're instantly dead because they see you as prey. You're done. You cannot outrun them. You, they, I've got a picture of one here. It kind of maybe looks kind of cute until it's running at you. These things are four to 800 pounds. They can run 35 to 45, 40 miles an hour at you full speed. If you turn and run, you are dead. You become prey. And so I've been watching these videos over and over again of grizzly bears running at people because I'm trying to train myself to stay. I want my instinct to stay because the last thing I should do is run. And I'm going to stand firm. How do you guys know the Bible talks about something like this, right? Amen. That if we stand firm when the enemy is rushing towards us, right? Here's what I want to have happen when the enemy comes rushing towards me, that all he can smell is the aroma of God on me. So that he has to turn off at the last second and say, I don't want to mess with that. I, I don't want to mess with that. And, and then I'll say, smell me now, Satan. That's what I'll say. I'll say, smell me now. Because we are the aroma of God. That's what it means to have the name of God put on you. It's not just a title. It's not just a, a thing that you can slap on there, but there ought to be something behind the name. So that the enemy, when he comes running after you, you can stand firm. The last thing you ought to do is run. You should stand firm knowing that I have the aroma of God. Everything has been eliminated that does not smell like Jesus, right? He has set us apart to be holy, right? And here's what the word holy means. Holy literally means to be set apart. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, and some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So he uses this picture of these special vessels. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, they can eliminate the odors. See, here's the problem. So many of us, we smell so much like the world that when the enemy runs at us, he doesn't know where Jesus is. 
He can just run and seek whoever he devours because there's no aroma of Christ. You've got all these scents of the world. You've got all kinds of fragrances and makeup put on and all sorts of things from the world that you no longer smell human or the way that God created you. And so God sets us apart as holy, those who have been set apart. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master of the house, ready for every good work. So the word, is, God sets us apart. God makes us holy to be holy. What does that mean? He sets us apart to set us apart. He makes us holy so that we could be holy. He sets us apart. He puts his name on us so that we could set, be set apart and have the aroma of God on us. And, and I, I love what's happening in our youth ministry right now because they're, they've got a new vision statement. They've got all this kind of stuff. But there are people who are young people who are hungry for God, encountering God. They're getting ready to go to this bold conference to have a set apart time uh, to go after God and to be hungry for God. Then you got a new mission statement to go after God, to be a set apart. Then in a, how many of you guys know in a generation these days that the, sometimes the most radical thing you can do is live for Jesus. The most rebellious thing you could do in this generation is live for Jesus, right? To be set apart, and they're doing that. And so I think it's important that we highlight what's going on in there because they are hungry. And I want you to know what's going on in our church because they are going to fool around and start a move of God if they're not careful because they want to be set apart, right? And so I want you to take a look at their new mission statement because they're going after God with everything. So let's take a look. with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me to make me his own. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. At Elevate Youth, we are being called higher. That is what the name Elevate is all about. God gave us a vision at the very beginning. He gave us a vision of young men and women gathering together, giving everything to God. He gave us a vision of teenagers raising each other up and reaching the lost. He gave us a vision of students who know completely who they are and what God has called them to do. A vision gives us direction. A vision gives us a goal. A vision unites us and brings clarity. Most importantly, a vision gives us our mission. At Elevate Youth, our mission is to reach up. We are called to reach up and pursue God with everything that we have. The Bible says that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. We need to reach up to God and pursue a life worthy of Him. Living a life reaching up to God is living a life in constant pursuit of Him. Our mission is to raise up. We are called to raise up the people around us. Reaching the lost is a critical part of our mission as followers of Christ. 
and God has placed everyone where they are at to become an influence to those around them and to call them into a deeper relationship with Christ and with each other. God is focused on people. We are too. And finally, our mission is to rise up. We have a unique upward calling from our Father that we need to rise up to. We know that God has a specific plan and purpose for every one of us. We are called to be set apart for Him. God is looking for young men and women who are not afraid to accept the call that God has for us. He is searching for those who will take His challenge and lead a life worthy of His name. Our mission at Elevate is to reach up, raise up, and rise up. God is calling us higher. Are you ready? teenagers in a place where they can regularly encounter God in moments like that, it's going to be hard for them to have a hunger for God outside of those moments. I really believe that. I, I believe when they get in moments like that where there's dedicated, and this, is, this goes beyond for just teenagers, it's not just teenagers, this is anybody. If you can pl place yourself in moments where God is pouring out in specific, special ways, and I believe he does that in moments like that, and, and things like our, you know, the bold experience that they're going to, and things like that. It creates a hunger outside of those moments because you set apart time and then you become set apart people. And I know this firsthand because when I was a teenager, this happened. I was in environments like that. I was in youth camps like that. I was in services like that. I was in moments like that where it was set apart times. And because of the set apart time, then all of a sudden a hunger for God started to develop outside of those times. So that I started to want to, I had this desire that I want to pray for an hour every day. I didn't know how to pray for an hour every day. I'd grown up in church and done all that. So I found something, uh, some sort of instructions of here's a pattern of how you could pray. And I just like, well, okay, I'm going to try to do it. And it was walking through the, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And, and uh, by the way, this is a way that if you want to turn this command from a don't, into a do, this is how it happens. Okay, you ready for this? You know, because we think of the Ten Commandments as don't do this. But if you want to take this as a don't and turn it into a do, here's the key right here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray then like this. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Again, God's name reveals God's nature. 
So here's what I want you to catch. If you want to turn it from a don't into a do, praying God's name releases God's nature. And so I began to learn about some of the different names of God. And as a teenager, I would pray, pray the names of God. And some of these names of God that I would just begin to pray out, all of a sudden I could see that it was releasing the nature of God in my life, even as a teenager. And I'm just going to give you some of these. I found some of these on Tony Evans' website. You can look it up because there's so many more. Okay, But these are the ones that I prayed when I was a teenager. I walked through these as a teenager, and I began to pray these different names and different aspects of the nature of God. Okay, So let's walk through this real quick. We're, we're coming in for a close, but I, I really want you to catch this. Praying the name of God releases the nature of God. Let's look at some of these names. Elohim, which means the strong creator God. You look at Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God, that's, that word there is Elohim, created. So he is a strong God, a creator God. He created the heavens and the earth. So as you begin to pray that name of God, you begin to pray out the nature of God. You release the nature of God into your life, into your situation. You say, God, I don't care what I'm facing right now. I know you're the creator of all things. And so I praise you and I pray your name as the strong creator God. You created it all. And I begin to release the nature of God into my life. Another name you might have heard of, of God called El Shaddai, which means almighty God. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said, I am God Almighty, which literally means it's El Shaddai. He says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless and then I'll make my covenant between me and you and you will greatly increase your numbers. And as you begin to pray this name of God, that God, you are almighty, that no matter what my eyes see, you are an almighty God. You are all powerful. And I, as I begin to pray the name of God, it releases the nature of God. God into my life. Here's another one, Sar Shalom, which means Prince of Peace. We think of this scripture around Christmas time, but it's much more than that. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. How many of you guys can't wait till that day happens, right? And his name, here it is, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And as you begin, if, listen, if your life right now doesn't look anything like peace, start praying the name of God and release the nature of God into your life. All right? This is one you've probably heard of. Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. So if you remember, Abram's going up on the mountain. God has instructed him to sacrifice his son Isaac. But then at the last minute, as God sees that Abram's going to be obedient to anything he asks, he provides a ram instead of the son. And so in this moment, it says that it says Jehovah Jireh. So Abraham called Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. Listen, if you lack any good thing, as you begin to pray the name of God, you release the nature of God into your situation. If you need provision, he is the provider. Jehovah Nisi, which the meaning is the Lord is my banner. It says Moses built an altar and called it the Lord Jehovah is my banner. If you look at that beforehand, they had just won a battle. This literally means a battle or a banner of victory. I mean, you guys know that when we're in Christ, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. And some of us, we're in a battle right now, and we need to raise up the banner, Jehovah Nisi, that he is our banner of victory. And we pray the name of God, and we release the nature of God. 
All right, Jehovah Rophi, which means the Lord, our healer. It says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring you any of these diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord Jehovah who heals you. So listen, if you need healing, I believe this, in, this includes all types of healing, that you can pray the name of God and you'll release the nature of God. Another one is Jehovah Shema, which means the Lord is there. It says the distance all around will be 18,000 cubits and the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there, Jehovah Shema. I don't have time to teach all that happened before then. You can go back and study it. It's quite fascinating why they said that. But listen, if you're in a season right now where you don't feel like God is there, what are you going to do? Pray the name of God. Release the nature of God. Because the Lord is present. The Lord is present. All right, this last one, Jehovah Sakinu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. It says, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, Jehovah, our righteous Savior. You need to remind yourself from time to time that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done and that he's given you his gift of righteousness. In fact, I remind myself of that almost every day. I will pray, one of the prayers I pray is I thank God that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That there's, not no, there's no one on the planet who stands ahead of me in line as far as righteousness before God. Because it's not based on anything I do. It's not based on how tall I am. Not based on how good I am. Not based on how, what I did last week. It's totally based on the gift of Jesus Christ. So as I pray the name of God, I remind myself of the nature of God. And in fact, I release the nature of God into my life. And so I believe one of the ways we turn this commandment into, from a don't into a do is by praying the name and releasing the nature of God. And so I'm going to have the worship team come back up at this time, but as they do, I'm going to ask you just one question. One question here. And here's the question. Which part of God's nature do you need to be reminded of today? In fact, can we just bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment and ask that question to, to God, because he, I, I'm sure some of us, we may not even have to ask, we already know. Some of us need to be reminded that God is our righteousness. Some of us need to be reminded of the nature of God, that he is our healer, that he is our provider, that the Lord is there, that he is our banner of victory that he is an almighty God, that he is a strong God, that he is the creator of all things, that he is the prince of peace. And as you begin to ask which part of the nature of God you need to be reminded of today, let me just share one last story with you. It was years ago. And I was going through a time where I was taking moments to just, I was doing kind of an experimental prayer where I would just sit and not say anything. And I would take just a moment, just it take several minutes. And I'd have a pen and a paper beside me because inevitably when you do that, all these thoughts come to mind of things you need to do, things that are important. So I'd write them down to get them out of my thoughts until I finally had nothing left to write. And as I would sit there just in silence, listening for God's voice, I saw a vision and I saw an old city, like an ancient city. 
ancient roads and rocky roads and you know cobblestone, all kinds of things. And then all of a sudden I saw a dam that was beginning to break and water became, started rushing through this old city. A flash flood wiping out everything, destroying everything. And, and all of a sudden something came into my view and it was like this castle-like structure made out of stone, like a castle-like tower. And as I was panned around in this vision, I, on the other side I saw written on it, it said, the name of the Lord. And I was instantly reminded of the scripture that says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. And I, I want you just to be reminded today that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And you can run into the name of the Lord. It's not just a title, but in the name of the Lord is his nature. And no matter what you're going through today, I, I just want to encourage you to go running to that strong tower once again. Run to the strong tower. So Lord, we just help us to be reminded of your nature. Help us to carry your name. Help us to be the aroma of you so that when the enemy comes running after us, he has to turn away. Lord, we thank you that you are our healer. You are our provider. You are always there. You're our banner of victory. You are God Almighty. You are a strong tower. And today we choose to run to you. We choose to run to you. We worship you. Come on, would you stand up with me? Let's worship him one more time.